Kia ora, I'm Alexia Russell and today on The Detail. It is so widespread. Every type of business is really crying out for workers. Businesses everywhere are crying out for skilled staff. New Zealanders don't fit the bill and they're looking overseas and they can't get them in. It's in retail, it's in hospitality, it's in construction, it's in trades, logistics, diesel mechanics, automotive mechanics. You name it, it's just really widespread. Is there really no one to do the mahi? Or are we just not looking in the right places? Finding the right job can be hard, but it's much harder if your brain works differently. For neurodiverse people with conditions like ADHD, dyslexia and autism, the unemployment rate is around eight times higher than the general population. That's despite research pointing to clear benefits of hiring them. You have every right if I'm not the right person to be employed, but because of someone's issues, I mean, that's pretty... I mean, we're normal. We're, we're normal. We just have... Well, our brains is wide different. I mean, to say no just because of that reason, pretty upsetting. That's from TVNZ's Sunday programme, following three young neurodiverse people for a year as they tried to find work. It was pretty heartbreaking. Brain injuries, Tourette's, or on the autism spectrum with conditions such as ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia. School is hard, work is hard, life is hard. The unemployment rate for such people is estimated at between 35 and 50%, eight times higher than the general population. Why is the rate of unemployment for autistic people so high? Possibly a bit of fear, possibly a bit of lack of understanding of what it means to employ an autistic person, um, possibly not thinking that they're geared well enough to possibly support that person. And if you are neurodiverse and trying to hold down a job... You, you start hiding all of your traits and, learn, you know, you figure out how to fit in. But it's, it's in all honesty, it's bloody exhausting. Now there's something being done to get companies to recognise the value of people whose brains are wired differently and to support their neurodiverse staff. The Observatory Charitable Trust is launching a Neurodiversity in Business Certification, or Brain Badge. It'll work a little like the green tick or rainbow tick, but there'll be less box ticking. It's backed by three big organisations, Auckland Transport, Kiwi Bank and the Warehouse Group. Business reporter Nikki Mando wrote about it for Newsroom. Actually, everybody you talk to who you say you're doing the this, this story, they say, oh, well, my niece or my son or my sister or brother or, you know, there are so many people who are touched by neurodiversity and particularly on this area of, you know, not being able to find work or it being difficult for neurodiverse people to get jobs. Yeah, so in spite of the a fairly decent prevalence in the community, at, at least as many neurodiverse people as there are gay people, po- you know, possibly twice as many. It's not something that has been addressed by companies. I think, you, yeah, absolutely right. It's not, I mean, I think in the past they would have been considered perhaps eccentric, you know, in a time pre-industrial revolution, maybe people did their own thing. You know, it wasn't so fixed that you had to get up at this time and start work at this time and do exactly what everybody else did and then go home at this time. But you could perhaps have more flexibility in a workplace in a pre-industrialised era. But now, really, we're all expected to sort of more or less comply with how everybody else works.
how everyone else goes to school, all those sorts of things. And I think it just doesn't suit some people. The, the sort of articles that you've been doing over the years about this, what's been your take on where we're at with dealing with it? I think we are nowhere. I think that, you know, people say, oh, Silicon Valley, you know, the, the tech companies, they're actively recruiting autistic people because they're so great at coding or they're so great at engineering. And that is... I mean, it's better than nothing, but it's still such a pigeonholing. You know, there will be some neurodiverse people who are good coders, but um, your son and my son and many of the people I've interviewed are not great coders. They're not that sort of, you can't pigeonhole them into a coding box. You know, it's a bit like saying, oh, well, we, we employ um, homosexual men because they're great in HR. You know, it's just a lot of rubbish that you can sort of say, hey, we're doing our bit for diversity because we're employing autistic people in coding. And that's about, but that's about as far as any company seem to go. And do you think this brain badge idea will address that in some way? It would be great if it did. I think the fact that the rainbow tick is quite well known now in corporates and a lot of people have adopted it i think that's one positive that if it can be adopted um i think another positive is that we're so short of workers you know the skill shortage will be really good for this because if you can employ the you know i don't know some figures say that a third of autistic people are not in the workforce um, so suddenly you've got a big pool of people that you could draw on if only you can be accommodating. Accommodation is the word that seems to be used a lot with neurodiversity in the workforce, mm. is how can we make accommodation so that it works for both sides? I feel a concept that's also often pushed when it comes to this is that these people have some kind of hidden superpower if we only let them unleash it. Well, what happens to the people on the autism spectrum, for example, who just don't, who just find life difficult and chaotic and need structure in their lives to get the basics done? I mean, this is, is this brain badge thing going to account for those kind of people as well? Or are they all looking for some magic formula? I don't know. I interviewed a brilliant guy a year or so ago, and he was... Um, on the autistic spectrum and he was working with Autism New Zealand and they put a mentor in with him and he went to work as a cleaner in a retirement village and one of he didn't have superpowers but he just was a really loyal honest he was always going to turn up on time he was always going to do the job that he was given he wasn't going to leave and go and work for somebody else but he was not good at change. And I think that's probably a lot of autistic people fall into that category. So if you're doing your, he was doing his cleaning and somebody said suddenly, oh, can you go to room one and clean that because there's been a spill? He couldn't do that. That was not what he was good at. He was good at doing the same cleaning every single day and doing it really well. And he worked with his mentor at the beginning of his job and they sorted out problems. And he'll be a great employee um, because they've accommodated what works for him. Um, because if somebody did send him over to room one suddenly to clean it, he was not going to be able to complete that job. He was going to go into a panic and that wasn't going to work. And that's about accommodating individual people and what they need to do a good job. 
are you able to gauge whether there's been more acceptance of people on the autism spectrum or is it, is it still very, in, you know, in its infancy? I would have said there's been no change whatsoever. I think there are so few resources. Autism New Zealand has some people involved in this, but they have not anywhere near the sort of manpower needed to 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 solve this, in which case it's got to go into the HR departments of companies. Um, and I think that's why Brain Badge could work, um, because it expands the group of people that are trying to think of ways of making it work. One of those people is Rich Rowley, an advisor for Brain Badge. He was diagnosed with ADHD when he was 42. I, I suppose before I got diagnosed, I always really just felt like an alien, just a bit weird. It was interesting because that was the why. But, you know, when you, you know, if you start reading about ADHD, I've got a deficit and a disorder. And then, of course, neurodiversity, it's never just one thing. There's normally a whole load of things. And all all of my extra things are lovingly called comorbidities. I suppose it just reinforced the kind of negative, really negative image that I'd built up of myself ever since I was a kid at school, really. As a kid, it was refusing to do homework. As an adult, it was working on a timetable that didn't match normal office behaviour. I can't do anything until it's really last minute. It, it, I, I just can't sit down, you know. So that's why working in a lot of organisations has been hard because in, in the world of business, people tend to have this kind of like linear idea of progress. You, you know, that you're given a job to do when, say, you've got two weeks to do it, every day you'll be making some progress towards that task. Whereas for me, I would literally do nothing until the morning that whatever it is is due to be done. And then I just get up super early or not sleep all the night before and just churn it out right at the last minute. But I, actually, what I do produce, even though it's last minute, is at least as good or normally better than what people who've been working on it for two weeks can do. I mean, is it a different way of working? I mean, do you perhaps spend those two weeks having actually a think about it? Yeah, I mean, that's a, a lot of it is. It's like just mulling stuff around in my head um, and and going down strange rabbit holes and reading lots of things. And, um, yeah, a lot of it's, yeah, just... It's not that I'm kind of not working, it's just that there's no sort of visible, tangible output. That led to a patchy CV as he got bored with job after job, but Rowley finally found an employer who understood the way he worked and utilised his talents. When I went to work for Francis Valentine at the Mind Lab, it was it was really interesting because when I went there, it was it was just a little education start-up. Um, and I'd never worked for a startup before, but I think startups are great because it's kind of like an opportunity to build your own culture. And straight away when I went there, you know, the team that I was working on, our culture was it, it was okay to be bad at things. And it was great because I've got lots of stuff that I'm not really good at. Mm. And, and it wasn't that automatically I could just start letting go you know but gradually over time it you know it was okay for me to say i'm not good at that and people would listen and realize and understand and i'd get given less and less of the stuff that i wasn't good at and um get given support around the areas where i needed it 
which is most notably organisation. I'm quite dreadful. Still, even though he was making plenty of money for the company, he was supported and he felt safe. He kept quiet about his diagnosis because of how neurodiversity tends to be perceived in the workplace. Until one day, he blurted it all out to his boss. Uh, and she just listened and then she went, oh, and you? And I, I could remember first, my first thought was, oh, shit, I thought I was better at hiding it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she, she just said, I didn't know what you got, but I knew that you were different and that's why I want you to work for me. And that little conversation kind of took everything that I thought about who I was and what my place was in the world and just turned it upside down, really, and flipped it on on its head, you know, because I'd never seen my particular diversity as, uh, as being something that would add value at all. He only left that job to kick off Brain Badge. Basically, what how Brain Badge came about was, I, I've i got four kids and, and three of them are... Um, three of them, it's fair to say, are more like me, neurodiverse, and... I've just basically had enough of how shit the world is for people who who are different. You know, it's if you look at diversity and inclusion, neurodiversity, it, we've only really just started the conversation. You know, it, it's kind of where the gender diversity was in the you know seventies. That you know, all the pride the pride movement was in the seventies. We it's so far behind and I've just had enough and I just wanted to do something about it. I don't really know how neurotypical people get through their lives. Like apparently you can just decide to start something and then do that thing and then finish it all just like that, and that sounds like a lie to me. Jack Remiel Cottrell is a writer. He's won the Wallace Foundation Prize for his very short stories or flash fiction. I have uh, ADHD, which is a combination of both uh, distractibility and hyperactivity. So I get the full range. Um, <laughs> and uh, I also have dyslexia. We worked together years ago at News Talk ZB in a wonderfully chaotic newsroom which was filled with noise, laughter, music and often people playing cricket in the middle of the large open room. Wonderful for me, not so for Jack. It was a difficult experience. I think I didn't quite fully understand just how difficult I was going to find the job. Um, Not because it was inherently uh, beyond my capabilities, I think, but it was the way it was all structured. um, I found that I was working really like I was felt like I was working as hard as possible, and I was just not getting what uh, was expected of me done and what everyone else in the team seemed to be able to to manage. I remember I got uh, I had a lot of performance reviews and performance meetings and I couldn't understand why I was just not getting this stuff done and I realized now looking back on it that you know there was having a lot of different pieces to put together that if I lost three seconds to being distracted 
every time I had to switch tasks, then I was losing and I would end up, you know, staying hours later to get stuff finished because, you know, I'd lost those fractions of time getting distracted uh, at that point. And I mean, in a newsroom, everything's really loud and people are asking questions and stressing out and the sports crew uh, may or may not be uh, yelling about something completely different behind you. And I mean, it was chaotic, but it was also just a, like an expected chaos, I suppose. And yet now, tell us what you're doing now. Uh, I I write short stories and I run workshops uh, teaching people about writing short stories and that kind of thing. And you've been extremely successful at it. This is tell me about flash fiction. What's that? It's really, really short stories. So there's a lot of argument about how long is very short. But I wrote a collection where um, the longest story was 300 words long. In those previous jobs, Jack didn't really try to hide what was going on with him, but he didn't advertise it either. It was more that. I knew not to mention it because it was, you know, people didn't really find it particularly something that they understood. And also there was this kind of thing that, well, if it gets around and I want to stay in media, maybe people in the future will you know, go, oh, but, you know, he's got ADHD and he's been difficult to work with and that's why he's difficult to work with. So mm. it's a small a small uh, industry. However, he has misgivings about Brain Badge, saying it doesn't give him hope that things are changing for people like him. It just seems like the same kind of corporate diversity stuff that we get everywhere that... Um, well, it doesn't actually prioritise the needs and success of neurodiverse people. It is empowering companies to try and get to to profit off us. Basically, it doesn't. It's not about hey, maybe you should uh, consider accommodations for people with autism and ADHD because they are, you know, valuable members of the community who deserve to work in a situation where it's not a complete nightmare for them. It's, hey, you should make some accommodations for people with neurodiversity because uh, they will be able to earn you more money that way. But if you are, you know difficult to work with if you do weird things, if you make weird noises. Um, We don't really want that. I spoke to Frances Valentine, who is at MindLab, and she employed Rich and employs other neurodiverse people. And she said that it's not going to work unless companies see it as good for them, that it's not a thing where you are being nice to neurodiverse people. Um, It's about using the skills that these people have. So I spoke to Brett Bishop at Auckland Transport and he didn't agree with Francis Valentine. He says that 
one of the big things for Auckland Transport is that they are trying to be much more diverse. They say their customer base is really diverse, so it's super important to have a really diverse workforce. The way that I look at it, if I was looking for a job at a company and company A had brain badge and company B didn't, I'd actually probably work for company A for a bit less money. <laughs> you, know, you know, just because it would be a place that me as somebody who's neurodiverse would feel that actually they might not have everything right, but at least I know that they actually care a little bit and they're working on it. Do you think they're really... The intent behind it is not just to get another tick for their company logo, but that there is a genuine desire out there to improve life for their neurodiverse employees. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think. I, yeah, I think so. And the thing with neurodiversity as well, nobody knows the true numbers of people who are neurodiverse. So. If you look at current estimates, it's somewhere, you know, between 15 to 20 percent. I personally believe that that's actually really on the low side. And so even if you say 20 percent, 20 percent of your workforce is neurodiverse. Some of them might not know it, because if you're an older person like me, you most likely haven't got, got it detected even now. But every time we go to an organization and talk to people there's either somebody in the room who's neurodiverse themselves or they've got kids who are neurodiverse or they've got friends or family who you know have, are having an experience of it and so it's it it, it, re it just resonates with people i think that there will be people in the ceo's chair who have children siblings nephews grandchildren who are neurodiverse and I think that that must be happening now and that if there was a program like possibly Brain Badge to do it I think that that they will be the the ones that will move the move the dial. And Rich Rowley says the Brain Badge scheme to be launched in a couple of months time is just the beginning. Once they have enough revenue from working with businesses he has big plans to use the money to shake up the education system for neurodiverse children. That's it for today. I'm Alexia Russell. The detail is public interest journalism funded through NZ On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Adrian Holley, produced by Sarah Robson, and thanks to Nikki Mando, Jack Remiel Cottrell and Rich Rowley. Kakita Amo.